Life has its ups and downs. Our guests will share their story and their journey through life. They'll share the struggles they hit and how they pivot in a way to come out stronger and better than before. Growing up, we are taught there is one way of life that essentially creates our life's checkmark. You have a choice to go in any direction you desire. As you listen to our guest, you're encouraged to look at your life and the checkmark you created in your mind and readjust if needed after listening to some of the incredible stories told. This is the Life's Checkmark Podcast, and I'm your host, John Emery. Hi, today I have with me Phyllis, and you know, it's great to have you on. I know you have a book coming out shortly, and I'm interested in getting to know who you are as a person. So if you could share that with everybody that's listening, and then we could probably dive into the book a little later on. Sure. Yeah. Um, I have been a psychotherapist for, I think, almost 35 years now. Um, I just recently retired and I'm devoting myself to writing. And gosh, long journey. So I'll try to encapsulate it. Um, you know, I went to therapy myself for the first time in the 1980s. And really before that, people didn't talk about psychotherapy um, and if they did at all, which was very little in my hearing, it was sort of something you didn't do because it kind of meant you were a problem person or you should be able to figure it out yourself or, you know, something like that. But in the 80s, it kind of became more something that the people that I knew went to. And I had had a lot of struggles growing up. Um, I really kind of grew up, I say this this way all the time feeling like I was kind of under a shadow and not really knowing why I had some of the inner kind of unrest that I had and negative self-perceptions that I had. And I guess you'd call it, I guess you'd call it depression, but I was a very high functioning kid because that's sort of how I coped. So I had this like not inside and on the outside, I probably looked fine and I was a really good student and I loved school and I loved writing. Um, but I really did not, I was just not a happy person. And I found myself more and more withdrawn as I got older. And um, finally, I kind of, I entered a, a spiritual group that, which was also really a big thing back in the sixties and the seventies. And, and while that was helpful, it didn't erase anything that I was going through. And, and I just was kind of a mystery to myself. So when some of my friends started talking about seeing a therapist, I thought, well, I think I'm going to give this a try. And it changed my life from really, uh, and I went to a number of therapists over the years. So it wasn't a one, it wasn't like or one session or one thing that someone said changed my life, but the process did. Um, the very first time I went to therapy, I went to, a, went to the library right after, and I took out the first book I could find on psychology. And it talked about the influences of our childhood and our growing up years, having everything to do with how we feel about ourselves and the choices we make and the people we relate to and just what we believe about ourselves and the world. And that was like such a huge missing piece because I felt like I didn't understand why I felt the way I did. Um, 
And eventually over the years, you know, I uncovered some of the traumatic things that happened to me when I was younger. I, they were kind of blocked out until I went into a deep dive of some of my most difficult, most painful feelings, I would say. And then along the, along that road. And meanwhile, I had gotten married and I had three children and I you know, I think my marriage was a good example of how our conditioning sets us up to not necessarily make the best choices for ourselves. And I was in a very unhappy relationship, which I left as a result of doing some of this inner work on myself. I was finally able to say, I don't want this and um, developed a private practice. And I've been in practice for many years and eventually found a very happy marriage. So there was a huge transformation that happened in my life as a result of the inner work that I was able to do. And I feel like I brought that to, you know, many of the people that I've worked with over the years. And at the start of my career, and this, this, a lot of this will relate to why I wrote the book that I wrote, at the start of my, uh, when I first got out of graduate school, I I had in an agency and I became the co-director of an agency that was a family treatment program for uh, family dysfunction and sexual abuse. And I was the co-director of the sexual abuse treatment program. And I really learned a lot about abuse dynamics and, and it, I learned a lot about myself. And... Um, and I realized, and I, I started reading you know, all kinds of books, of uh, people's stories of recovery. And I realized that I wasn't alone and I had felt so alone growing up. And I realized that there's millions of people like me, not just from family dysfunction, not just suffering from family dysfunction, but people who are suffering from all kinds of harm at human hands, whether it's, whether it's discrimination or poverty or war. Um, and we have many of those ills going on in our country. And I realized that the things I was learning about our psyche and how we cope when we're hurt and we don't get help um, and what help can do, that there was a, such a crying need for that information to be widespread. Um, and that and then I began to see that this is a national conversation, that the dynamics that I saw happening in abusive families, and let me just interject here a few things. Um, I've worked with hundreds of people over the years, individuals, children, teenagers, adults, individual adults, couples, and families. And I would have to say that there's an epidemic of abuse in America that the things that people have told me that they've suffered in their childhood, you know, in wealthy homes, in poor homes, um, races, religions, economic, you know, status, education status, it doesn't, it cuts across all lines. And I think that there's an epidemic of a lot of injury to our mental health. And it affects the way people function in their lives and the way they raise their children, the jobs they seek or how they function in their jobs um, and how they function as people in charge of other people, um, not just with their children or their spouses or in the, in the workplace, but at higher levels. So in a nutshell, my whole journey took me to 
extrapolating that what's happening on the micro level of the individual and the individual family is also happening in our country at the highest levels of the greatest institutions and in government. And to the extent that we are not living healthy family dynamics on any of those levels, many, many, many people are being injured. And we see this with some, with some, you know, certainly not all, but with some of the policies that are discriminatory, that hold people back from opportunity, that support institutions and, and practices that do not allow for social justice or criminal justice, um, you know, it's it's widespread. So so basically what I wanted to do with my book, and so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of evolving here. And if you want to interrupt me, feel free. Um, is there anything you want to say or should I just complete that thought? <laughs> you tell me. I, I was going to go back a little bit. So sure, you went ahead and you picked up this psychology book. Right. And that, that was a, a while ago. And <clears throat> I'm just, I'm sharing this because I feel like now I hear a lot more noise about people knowing now that it everything stems from their childhood in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. And the people I listen to, talk to, whatever, they are trying to figure out what that is. What, what happened way back then that got right. them to where they are now? Right. And <clears throat> so, did, I mean, back back then when you got this book, did I mean, that was new for you then, but did you hear a lot of that, you know, going on? Like, you know, people. No, I mean, I never heard that until I read this book and went to therapy. Um, and, and I remember from my, the very first session that I went to, the therapist asked me, you know, about my childhood and, you know, I hadn't read that book yet or heard anything about psychology. I was just going cause I was in pain basically. Um, and I was still married at the time that I first went to therapy. Um, and I remember the therapist asking me about my childhood and I said, it was fine. You know, I was the problem. There was something wrong with me. There's always been something wrong with me. And that's how I related to my childhood. I really had no idea that it wasn't me. And I think that's one of the tragedies of family dysfunction is that people take it on themselves and really believe that they're the problem. And often they're told they're the problem. I wasn't necessarily told I was the problem, but um, when I had a problem, it was ignored. And I was called, you know, over and over again, I was called too sensitive. So that meant that my feelings weren't valid and had a lot of upset feelings. So, um, you know, and it's a lot worse for, for some people. And there was, there was some significant abuse in my family that I didn't remember until later. So I really just thought I was the problem, but no, yeah. In answer to your question, I didn't know anybody who was talking about that. It was totally news. And I know that that's, it's not news today for many people. Yeah, and you know, and just saying it again that yeah, I hear it a lot. You know, um, did did you find it hard for you to like to go back in your childhood and go? I think that's what it was, or this is it. You know, and try to remember those memories that where you kind of thought that it could stem from. Well, I would say it was hard in one way and not in another. Um, it was hard because it was painful but I was already living in a lot of pain. And so there was something that was a relief about getting to what 
what the origin of that was, was about. Like I felt with the best people that I worked with and not everyone was great, but I worked with a number of really good people with the best people that I worked with. I felt like I reached a place of truth inside myself and there was something so healing and so relieving about knowing the truth about you know, why I felt the way I did and what happened to me and, you know, why I made the choices in life that weren't always so great. Um, it was such a relief not to feel like I was that kind of unknown mystery that I couldn't navigate. And, you know, I could, kept making the same choices over and over again until I kind of got to that truth. So yes, it was really hard and it was really good and it was really worthwhile and it ended up being really freeing. So, yeah. So you hit a state of peace. Would you call it that? Yeah. And I would say, I mean, I would say it's not, I don't know for myself anyway, that any particular growth that I have engaged in is static. You know, you hit a place of peacefulness and, you know, greater at homeness with your essential self. And then, you know, something else comes along and you have another kind of piece of work to do, or you're in relationship and relationship is challenging. You know, I raised three kids by myself and that was really hard. Um, so you, you reach that over and over again, but you sort of build the tools to connect to something much more solid in yourself. And you build that over time. It is, there's, I don't, I didn't build that overnight by any means. I'm still working on myself. You know, like, As we all are, right? Yeah. yeah. And will be. And yeah, will exactly. be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, go as far as you can with this, but you know, so you're, you were a single mother of three for a time period. Yeah. And yeah. What, what, yeah. What kind of challenges and struggles did you have with that? Well, you know, I had to be mother and father kind of. And so I wasn't good at being, I wasn't good at being father at all. I probably wasn't. And, um, and because of, I was going through so much of my own, you know, it was while I was, it was sort of opening all that stuff up that had me able to leave my marriage and my ex-husband for his own reasons, didn't stay terribly involved with our kids. And so most of it was with, on me, um, I was going through so much deep inner work through some of their growing up years that it was really hard to be a parent at all. Um, and of course I was, you know, and, and my kids probably have somewhat of a better view of it than I do, but, but no, I, I had a really hard time. I had a hard time making limits and boundaries. I had a hard time being the enforcer. I'm a, you know, basically a soft, compassionate person, just want to you know, so I had to learn all that. I had to learn how to make limits and boundaries. I had to learn to be really strong. I had to learn to have, um, a, you know, a voice, uh, you know, a loud voice, a good voice, uh, um, what do you call it? You know, a powerful voice with my kids. And all of these were things I needed to learn. So no regrets. Uh, these were things I needed to learn in my life, but they were as much my as I was theirs, maybe more. And, and so I don't know where you were with your story as far as when you were trying to figure out from your childhood and stuff, but did you kind of take what you learned way back then and kind of change it for your kids, you know, not, not to be told, you know, not, not try to tell them something that you probably heard way back in the past when you were a kid to make them yeah. feel different. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, to some degree, 
I would say I'm probably better at that now than I've ever been. And my children are grown and I have grandchildren um, and we're very close. You know, we have wonderful relationships, but what I would say is some somewhat and somewhat not um, to the extent that I had become very disempowered from what happened to me. I wasn't super powerful with my children. I learned how to do that. What I was with my children that my parents were not able to be with me. And I think it was their generation or their own upbringing or whatever it was, is they were not able to go into the feeling world at all. And so, you know, all of the, and I'm a very feeling person. And so there was no way to talk about feelings or what you needed. Um, you just weren't supposed to need anything or be upset about anything in my family. And you weren't, you just really weren't allowed to, um, not, not, yeah, I guess you just weren't allowed to. And so I, I know that I made a lot of space for that, for my children, um, to be able to talk about things and have their feelings. I didn't necessarily know how to deal with their feelings, but I made space for them. Right. See, it's all, it's all a learning process. It's right? a long, long learning curve, you know, yeah. and then I think that was partly generational too. You know, that many people my age that, that I, that I grew through my adulthood were coming out of the same kind of childhoods of, you know, emotionally very repressed. And did you find it through that? I guess back, back then, you know, that it, most of the stuff happened back then. Oh, I'm not sure what you're asking. Say that again. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know if this is just, you know, from the, uh, that generation or whatever, if that generation was totally different that uh, a lot of the stuff that you probably went through, others went through as well, just because of that generation. Right. I think so. I mean, I do think so. You know, and I think like, you know, my kids and their kids are in different generations and they're going through very different things. Yeah, I'm, I'm just I was just curious because, uh, you, yeah, I mean, I got kids of my own. And yes, we are going through a different generation. But yeah. just like I was sharing with you, everybody's trying to talk about how they grew up and, you know, go back to their childhood to figure out what, you know, what happened to where they are now. So I didn't know if there was something in particular with that generation that stuck out at you that said that, you know, this probably did a lot. And now, you know, people are passing it along because they're not getting the self-help and stuff and, and care and therapy yeah, and yeah. everything to figure out, you know, is yeah. there some, Go ahead. I was born right after the world, world war two ended. And, um, and, you know, world war two was so horrific and my family is of Jewish origin from Eastern Europe. So they weren't, they weren't um, in Germany or that they weren't part of what happened in Germany, but um, they were very aware of it. And and in the whole world wars were horrible, you know, alongside of what happened in Germany. And and no one ever talked about it. And they never talked about the depression. And they never talked about anything that had and they all came from dream poverty in Eastern Europe and persecution. And no one ever talked about any of it. And I think there was so much repressed trauma that had been handed down gener generationally that it got passed on to us. Like you just don't talk about anything and that's how you make it go away. Only it doesn't, you know, and that's what we know from the field of psychotherapy, um, that it doesn't go away, that it 
you know, it, it, it affects us and it comes out in the way we believe think about other people, what we believe about other people and ourselves and the coping mechanisms that we devise. And some of them are, you know, acceptable and okay. Um, and some of them are highly dysfunctional and destructive and even lethal. Yeah. I, I can see that you're, you're kind of holding a lot of stuff in and then maybe it might be that one little thing that make you, you know, just blur it all out and say everything you got to say, do it, you know, physically, mentally, you know, emotionally, whatever it is, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. So I see that for our country, you know, you know, one, I mean, I talk about many, many things about how to look at our country and our functioning as a nation um, through the lens of what I've learned from family therapy and family systems theory in because because so much of what we understand now is that we're conditioned by the family systems that we live in and by our history, as you're pointing out so well, um, that I that as a country, among many, many other things, again, that I've talked about in my book, we need to look at our history. It's part of who we are as a nation. You know, many, many, many thousands, probably millions of people came to the United States fleeing persecution, trauma, war, poverty. Um, not everyone. Some people came, you know, for hoping to live in a new land. But there have been immigrants from all over the world fleeing persecution. And they bring with them their unhealed traumas. And that has conditioned part of the way we functioned as a nation. And what would it be like if we could look at that together, not through the lens of blame and shame and trying to pin something on somebody, but to know ourselves better so that we can make better choices as a country now? Yeah, to look at us as a whole, not just individuals. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. And that to me is the big gift of family therapy and family systems theory that is fairly new in the world of psychology. You know, it, 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 the Freudian psychoanalysis of the inner drives of the individual has been replaced now by this much broader view of our conditioning and, uh, and what are, what is a healthy family? What does a healthy family look like? What does a healthy family produce? And what does a dysfunctional, abusive, or violent family produce? So, so are are you saying that like a family comes together into therapy? Is it often they do? Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, usually what happens is, and this is my experience anyway, and other therapists might who, you know, describe their practice differently might have a different experience. But my experience has been often that one person either comes to therapy or one person is sort of designated as the problem and brought to therapy, you know, like, or, or designates themselves as the problem and comes to therapy. And then the family picture sort of unfolds around that. So for instance, um, when I first started my practice, I really wanted to just work with children. And I think that was, you know, sort of an, a semi-conscious drive to give to children what I felt like I didn't get. And, um, but I soon realized after working with many, many children that they were suffering from family dysfunction. They weren't dysfunctional themselves. They weren't, there wasn't anything wrong with them. They were having a normal reaction to whatever the pain and, um, you know, and dysfunction was that was going on usually with their parents. 
um, and sometimes with siblings. And so, you know, I sort of morphed my practice into, I, I would, would see children and I would kind of get a sense of what was going on with them, but I would very quickly bring in the parents and often the work was with the parents. And so, you know, and I, I always saw individuals, but, but then I started to do more of the work with the parents. And when the parents got a sense of what was hurting their child, you know, often, very often in my practice, it was a very conflictual divorce and kids just felt torn apart and they became symptomatic. They wet the bed or they were failing in school or they became aggressive toward other children um, or they were having nightmares. You know, they would have something that was the alarm that something was wrong in the family. And in psychological language, they're called the identified patient. They're the one that looks like they're having the problem, but actually they're calling for help for the family. And that's what family systems theory and family therapy was able to identify so well. So treatment for the family often involved treatment for the parents. Um, you know, some other way to negotiate their divorce, some other way to be around their child, some other way to make it more comfortable for the child to love both parents and go back and forth, whatever it was that they didn't even realize. Most parents didn't even realize what they were inflicting on their kids because they were so caught up in their own problems and their own anger and their own sadness. And I see that as an exact parallel for what, what can happen in places of work, in religious organizations, in social organizations, in big corporations or businesses, and in the highest levels of government, that people get so caught up in their own disagreements and arguments and conflict and strife and battles with one another that they don't realize the impact they're having on the whole population that is subject to them. And I think that's really going on in our country today. And one of the stories that I like to tell as an illustration of that is, you know, I've been a, I've, I've had a practice, private practice since 1989. And I've seen, I can't tell you, I don't know how many people I've seen over the years. It was not until the 2016 election, the year coming up to that election, the election and the aftermath of that election, that I ever had one client that came to therapy traumatized by what was going on in our country, up at night with nightmares, um, just terrified about what was taking place on the political stage. And then I think that tells you a lot about the family of America dynamics impacting the average citizen. And there's of course a million other stories to tell about that, but that's a very profound one for me because I had never seen anything like that. Is that like the uh, that started you with this book, perhaps? Or? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. What was you that? Say? Was that? That's all right. Was that like the catalyst that started you to get writing this book? No, actually, I mean, it certainly um, urged me on. I had the idea for this book a long time ago, um, and I had written various chapters over the years, but I had never had kind of a way to put them together. Um, and I, you know, I didn't know, sort of know what my theme song was. And certainly the, that, that election was catapulted me into writing it in earnest and getting it finished. I will say that, you know, in general, that's, you know, that's maybe the tip of the big iceberg of like, like I want 
what we understand psychologically about dysfunction and dysfunctional people and their impact on each other if they're not if they don't get help and they're not restrained i want that to be common knowledge that's half of my book the other half of my book is we know so much in the world of psychotherapy and psychology what about what is needed to break the cycle of abuse we know so much of what helps heal people when they've been hurt, whether they're acting in or acting out. We, we don't know how to heal everyone for sure, but we know so much more than we ever did about what interventions are necessary, what people actually need, what constitutes a relatively healthy family that I wanted to make that common knowledge. Uh, and none of it actually is esoteric. It really isn't. Um, one of the things that I like to say to people is if, when they ask me about, well, what, what is therapy? You know, what do you do? You know? And so, and, and, and what you're saying, you know, people now are more aware they need to go back into their childhood. Well, what are they going back into their childhood for? They're going back into their childhood to find the places where love was missing, where love got injured, or, and I, I'll say love and, and a sense of connection and belonging and cooperation and peaceful conflict resolution. They're going back into their childhood to find the places where all those things were either missing or got injured or were betrayed or were lost. Somebody that loved them died. Um, their parents got divorced and they never saw their father or their parents were fighting all the time, or their parents were abusive to them, or their siblings were abusive to them and no one stopped their siblings. I mean, there's endless stories. So that's that's what they're going back for. They're not going back just to blame other people. They're going back to retrieve the part of themselves that was missing that piece of love and safety and belonging and connection and feeling valued and feeling like they mattered. And that's the whole purpose of, of good psychotherapy. And when we have any opportunity to do that, you know, people can heal and then they start to make better choices in life and they start to treat other people differently. And on, you know, if I was just to zoom out really quickly, that's what I'd like to see for our country because we're not treating each other well. We're treating each other horribly in some instances. There are people who are so marginalized, who are so discriminated against, who are shot while they're asleep in their bed because they're black, who are imprisoned because they're black, even when there's no evidence to support imprisoning them. I mean, you know, I know um, that, that we do not treat each other well. We do not treat each other as national policy the way we each want to be treated ourselves. And that is a sign of something wrong with the mental health of our country. And so I think our mental health is the missing piece in solving some of our biggest problems. And that's really why I wrote the book. Yeah, I, I, would, I would believe that too. I, I, think, um, I think a lot of stuff's covered up. A lot of stuff is not, you know. Right. I, I don't know about now. Maybe therapy is more open, like people are pursuing it more than ever. I, I don't know. Um, I know there's all these online things or whatever, you know, asking for help and everything anymore. But um, so I feel like it's getting there and people are becoming more and more aware. I mean, you and I are talking about it now and you're writing a book and, uh, you know, so it's it's getting out there. Right. It's starting to go mainstream. But 
I think there's a lot more people out there that are probably going to still frown upon stuff like that and and still say that they're okay and that it has nothing to do with how they were born, how, you know, raised. Um, but yeah, so your book, I mean, are you trying to make it stick out for a certain individual or, you know, a parent or a child or? I really wrote it um, for what I would say for the layman, for anyone, for anyone who cares about what's going on in our country. And I say our country, but it's really the world. But I focus on America because I live here, you know, and I'm familiar with America and I can't really speak to another country because I'm not familiar with them. But it's really global. A lot of the things that I'm talking about, um, I'm really I really wrote the book, one of one of my chapter titles, and which was actually one of the ideas I had for the title of the book, which I changed. But one of the one of the chapter titles is out of my office and out of the office and into the world. Because I want, to, I I really want what we understand in the world of the psychotherapy office and the session to become common knowledge for everyone. I don't think the average person really understands what the cycle of abuse creates, how it was created, what perpetuates it, and how we could actually begin to break that cycle. I don't think it's common knowledge. So I wrote my book for the layman in the sense that I really mixed together you know, client stories that I've kind of, you know, disguised to, um, so no one's identity is revealed, but I tell client stories. I talk about my own life a little bit and some of my own experience. And then I talk about some of the principles of what I've learned from family therapy and treatment, you know, in a way that I think is very digestible for anyone. It's not an academic book, although I certainly think that anyone in the academic field of psychology or other professionals could easily absorb the material. It's it's really written for, for, for common knowledge because that's what I want this to become common knowledge. And when, when is this book going to be released? I don't know right now. I am just in the process. I've, I've, the book is done. I've written all my proposals. I'm just submitting now to publishers. I have one publisher looking at it um, and I'm hoping to, maybe have a few looking at it and <laughs> hope it comes out soon. Oh, that's great. Uh, and you'll have to keep me posted on that because it sounds like it's going to be really worth diving into and making sure a lot of people get, get, get aware of it and buy it and read it. Um, that's, my hope. that's my hope. Really. That is my hope. Yeah. Well, I mean, you just coming on here and with other podcasters and whatever else you're doing to promote, eat, not just that, but just share. Exactly. Uh, your experiences and what you see going on around and, you know, the past, that, yeah. you know, how, how the generation kind of carries the other generation in a sense. And, and you can see that everywhere, not just through, you know, the therapy and all that stuff. It's, you know, right. Some people are rich because their parents were rich and they pass it along and they share, they share their knowledge, you know, stuff like right. that. Right. But uh, no, that's great. Um, is so, how can uh, people connect with you and get to know more about your profession or, you know, maybe to just talk to you for whatever reason? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I have, I have a website. It's www.phyllislevitt.com and it's P-H-Y-L-L-I-S-L-E-A-V-I-T-T. Um, and you can connect with me there. There's a, you know, place where you can connect with me and I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I have a lot of videos on YouTube. I have a lot of, of the talks I've given on my website as well. Um, I'm on, did I say Instagram and LinkedIn? I have a lot, a lot of um, 
messages and I post all the time, you know, different messages that are related to my book. Um, So LinkedIn is another good place to find me and you can connect with me any, in any of those places. And I'm happy to connect with people and share more. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, So I, I ask a question at the, at the end. And uh, (laughs) so (laughs) along your journey, what were the top three things that you learned and used along, along the way? Yeah, well, uh, one comes to mind right away. So I'll share that one. Um, I had a friend, and this was in the early, I don't know, late 60s or probably early 70s, maybe early 60s, late 60s. Anyway, this is when I was in a spiritual group. And I had a friend who went to India seeking um, to have, you know, some time with one of the Indian gurus at that time. And nobody probably remembers this, but at that time, the very first contact lenses were made out of glass and he had glass contact lenses and he was on this dusty, dusty train. He told me the story when he got back, he was on this dusty, dusty train in India um, on his way to an ashram, I guess it was. And he got so much dust in his eyes that it got behind the glass and his eyes were scratched and they were unbearably painful. And so when he got to this teacher, um, he just could barely talk to him because he was in so much pain. And the teacher told him not to fight it, that fighting it made it worse. And for some reason, that story stuck in my mind my entire life. And I applied it not so much to physical pain because I've had so much physical pain in my life, but to emotional pain. Like the whole idea of surrender and move through, you know, there's an expression today called lean in. And I think that's what that, that um, teaching of surrender was about. It's like, lean in, don't lean out, lean in and move through. And so all those years of therapy that I did were like leaning in and leaning in again and leaning in again and moving through. And so that, that story was really, really profound for me. And you said three things. I don't know if you want three. That was a long story. <laughs> oh, that was great. I like the story. Yeah. Do you, do you have two more? Um, what two, was the, yeah. What, two more, two more things that you learned and used along your journey. Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, one thing that I've learned is, you know, and this is probably, probably sounds trite, but actually I don't think it is. And that is that it really all comes down to love. The greatest healer is actually love. Um, As a psychotherapist, I've learned, you know, many, many techniques. You know, I've done inner child work and some um, guided visualizations and EMDR and um, some behavioral work and psychodynamic work and family work. And, you know, you learn all these wonderful modalities that you use when you work with people. But, but, but underneath that, like you have to care. You have to care what the outcome is for that person. And it's a felt sense you get. And if you go to somebody who only has a technique, it's not really the whole healing because our injuries, what what you were talking about, about going back into your childhood, our injuries happened at the hands of other people and they need to be healed with other people. And the greatest healing is to be cared for. And so- that's that's something that I learned to be be very conscious of as a therapist. You know, am I perfect? No. Um, 
But you come back to that over and over and over again, because I know the healing power of that in my own life. And I see that as the healing power for the world. Um, we have a long way to go to get there. And so I'm trying to talk about some of the steps along the way. <laughs> and the last thing I would just share with you is um, that comes to mind. And there's probably other really big things that I've forgotten. But um, I had a teacher in uh, high school who really loved how I wrote. And, and, you know, it was her showing me my gift for writing that actually, you know, probably was a big part of me understanding my path as a writer. I've written two other books as well, and they're, they're on a different subject, but um, I've written all my life. I've written, you know, short little pieces. I've kept journals um, and that is my deepest calling. And that is where I actually find my deepest connection is in writing. And it was her seeing me um, as a writer that, you know, when you get that reflection back about something that is a strength or a gift that you have, it makes it more real. And so that is something we can do for one another. We can all be a part of this change. You know, just you probably know in your own life when somebody has reflected back to you, something wonderful about you, how it accentuates that, how good you feel. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, yeah, I, I get it. I'm sure a lot of people get it too. As long as they're getting it from somebody, right? Yeah. It yeah, feels good. Yeah. It feels really yeah. good. Yeah. And then that allows you to keep going, you know, keep pursuing what you really want to do. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Unfortunately, I hate to say this, you probably run into more people that just, you know, why are you doing that? He shouldn't be doing that. You know what I mean? But um, right. that's, right. that's where you just got to watch who you're talking to. <laughs> well, and also find a way to answer, you know, like find a way that answer that doesn't just, you know, sometimes you don't want to, cause it's just too, you know, too denying or too critical, but sometimes there's a way to answer like, um, why wouldn't I, or what do you tell yourself you can't do? Or, you know, you know what I mean? Like open up that conversation. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. I like that. Well, I appreciate it. This is great stuff. Um, yeah, I, I wish you a lot of luck with the book and, you know, we'll stay in touch that way. I know when it comes out. Great. And, I will uh, tell you. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was great talking to you. Thank you. I Thank appreciate you. it. It was great talking to you too. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for taking your time listening to Life's Checkmark. If you like this show, please subscribe, rate, and review. And we'll see you next time.